So good evening, everyone. Welcome to the Global Math Department. My name is Lee Natero, and I'll be your host. Tonight, we're going to hear from Sandhya Raman on how can social justice be a part of the math lessons in a classroom. Uh, before we begin our session, I'd like to tell you a little bit more about the Global Math Department. The Global Math Department is, is an organization that is run entirely by volunteers. To keep the free high quality PD, we need webinar speakers, webinar hosts, and writers for our newsletter. Newsletter writers share about an area of math or math teaching that resonates with them or discusses recent math blogs that help teachers reflect on their practice. If you would like to volunteer or know someone who would be a great in any of these areas, please have them email us at globalmathdepartment at gmail.com or have them reach out to us on Twitter. Before I introduce our speaker, I'd like to explain how our webinars work. Our webinars are recorded and are available about 24 hours after the meeting ends. To view the recording, you can use the same link you used to get here tonight. The Global Math Department community prides itself on being friendly and supportive. The chat room is available for topical and general conversation throughout the meeting. And if the chatter gets busy, I'll be sure to catch your questions for the presenter to be addressed at the end of the presentation. If you haven't already done so, please introduce yourself in the chat telling us what you teach, where you teach, and what your Twitter handle is if you have one. Welcome, Jonathan from Thailand. And welcome uh, to uh, Nahi from Southern California. I hope you're not getting too much rain in Southern California. Oh, and Amanda from Sydney, Australia. I teach at Bethlehem in Bethlehem, Pennsylvania. I am the host coordinator, and my name is Lena Taro. As I said, uh, and welcome Donna from Montclair, New Jersey, and Kristen. Lots of people, yes, and definitely some repeat customers here. Um, on the handouts tab, you will uh, see that there is a link to the, or, uh, the, the PDF of the presentation. So if for some reason you need to um, leave a little bit early, you can definitely grab that presentation or have a copy of it for yourself for reference later on. So our webinar speaker is Sandhya Raman, and she'll be sharing on the topic, how can social justice be a part of the math lessons in a classroom? And uh, she, her inspiration, Sandhya's inspiration is her mother, who is a veteran teacher. Sandhya has an engineering degree in computer science from India and a master's in teaching from USC. Sanya identifies as a carbivore and strongly believes that travel is the best teacher. Her favorite pastime is sleep, though she also enjoys hand embroidery, reading, hiking, and traveling. Sanya is a lifelong learner, is presently pursuing national board certification for teachers, and has actively been presenting at conferences across the country around mathematical practices, social justice, and universal access for learning in mathematics. She believes that everyone can learn albeit at their own pace, and learning is best when individualized and reflective. And now I'll turn the presentation over to Sonia. 
Thank you, Lee. Thank you so much for the wonderful introduction. And it's raining here in um, Northern California. I am uh, logging in from San Jose. And thank you to everybody for sharing where you're joining us from. And I hope you are definitely drier and warmer than me. Um, us Californians are not so used to the cold weather, but hey, we'll take the rain when it comes. So welcome and um, thank you for joining us uh, today. And I like to always start with the Southwest team, as notorious as Southwest is right now, after all the flight cancellations in the United States. Um, we know you have a lot of choices, but when it comes to PD, um, I'm grateful that you're here. So thank you for your time. And I hope there is something that you can take away from the presentation today um, that you can implement right away. Um, Tony, I'll let Lee answer that question as to where the presentation should be. It should be in that tab that you see where the handout is um, available. And <clears throat> so today's uh, topic, and I see a typo right up there. So how can social justice be a part of the math lessons? in any classroom or in a classroom or in classrooms is the title. And that's my Twitter handle at Sandy Raman. If you wanna tweet about the session, that's that's something you'll find in the slide deck all along. Um, before I even get to the presentation, I would like to take a moment to acknowledge the land that I live, learn and earn on, the lands of the Tamian, the Oholoni and the Muwekma tribes. Of the native Indian tribes here in the United States in San Jose area where I currently reside. So um, I wanted to give my due acknowledgement for that before I step into the presentation. And uh, uh, Tony, I'll just get back to you with that handout thing in just a bit. I'll address that in just a bit. Um, so this here is a picture of um, India, before it gained the country gained independence from the British rule in 1947, and the newspaper, um, one of the most popular newspapers in India, that says India independent, British rule ends. And uh, that is Prime Minister Nehru over there, and a map of India before it was divided, I mean, before it was uh, independent, I would rather say. On the right is a picture of my. Uh, presently 99 years old grandma married to my late grandpa who's no, not there anymore but i want to bring this up because this is one of the oldest memories oldest stories that i have that i grew up hearing all along my grandma telling me about her journey because she was brought up in the easternmost part of india which is present day myanmar or burma as we used to call it then and she was one of the wealthy families, part of one of the wealthy families who resided in the eastern part of the country. But the British rule kind of made them migrate all the way to the southernmost part of India, which is the tip of the peninsula, where you see the actual, uh, the, the three oceans meeting, that southern part of the country. And it was a caravan movement. It was like a bunch of RVs going together. Like it was a whole community of Indians who moved from Burma to South India. It took months. It took them months. And my grandma was a, literally a child at that time. And when I was a kid, I used to come back from school, um, lie down for a nap, and she would tell me stories about it. None of that ever made sense to me. It was a story to me. But what she had actually told me was about all the ways that social justice was completely absent 
when she was growing up and how nobody paid heed or nobody paid any attention to the needs and wants of the people who lived in Burma but were actual residents of the southern part of the country. And they just asked them to leave just like that one fine day. But they did leave. And long story short, going further ahead, this is my grandma right now. This is a recent, um, I, I call her every day and we talk. And this is, uh, she She turned 99 in October. She turns 99 one, two weeks before me. So not 99, but she, she has a birthday two weeks before me. So we kind of have a little um, uh, joke about that too. So she is here telling me, uh, wish you a happy birthday and God bless you um, in October. And on the left is the big fat Indian family wedding we had before pandemic. And right in the center of that uh, picture is my grandma, 99, um, who would never have survived that had she not decided to not put up with social injustice. So when she, long, uh, going back to the story, when they migrated to the southern parts of the um, country, for her share, she continued to spread the word about how things were unfair and how things were not okay and advocated for it in whatever way and means she could, and finally was able to claim her property back, something that duly belonged to her and her family. Um, these were stories of social justice that I never knew that I was learning, but I did learn. And um, as a kid, I never wanted to be a teacher because my mom, a teacher of 35 years, I knew what a miserable life it was because my mom was always grading and scoring and report, doing her report cards and having meetings. And I'm like, I'm never going to be a teacher. But guess what? The apple doesn't fall far from the tree. So I ended up in the profession and I did not realize uh, the exclusion of social justice in a content area like mathematics until I came to this country. I knew it was vehemently absent in India where I was growing up. Um, for many reasons, a part of it being I, I was not interested in it. I was just interested in getting my scores and moving on. But when I came to this country and started uh, learning about the education system here, and when I myself got educated in this country, I realized inclusion is something we value in the United States. However, social justice is not something that's openly included in a mathematics classroom here. So uh, that started my journey to look into what um, social justice means and what it looks like in a mathematics classroom. And my endeavor today is to uh, help you figure out some ways where you can leverage what's within a student's environment, learning environment, to engage in mathematics for social justice. And how can students be empowered intentionally, imperatively, and in a way that's interconnected with experiences within the mathematics learning that's happening already in our classrooms and our community. So hopefully, even if it's not anything uh, super big, it's a small tidbit that you can take away and get your learning community involved in this. I always like to start with this quote of Mahatma Gandhi, a nation's culture resides in the hearts and in the soul of its people. And I say this for many reasons, not because um, I was born and brought up in India, uh, but everybody knows Mahatma Gandhi and the work that Mahatma Gandhi has done for the world, not just for India or South Africa, but for the world. And more importantly, I think my grandma, my 99-year-old grandma, she's a big fan of Mahatma Gandhi. And I remember her telling stories of how when she was young, 
um, she used to run away to go and just get a glance of Mahatma Gandhi when he was on a, a route march through her uh, place of residence. So she'd say like, I was a little girl who would run away and just sneak look, uh, sneak a look at him. So um, I think he means a lot in my stories and in my grandma's stories. So I think it resonates even more now. Um, I would just take like to take a moment, maybe 30 seconds. Uh, please feel free to join me in the chat. Tell me what you think are the words that pop up when you hear the word social justice. It could be a word, a phrase. What pops up when you hear the word social justice? I'll give you a few seconds here to populate the chat. Mm -hmm, I see some words, equity, fairness. Mm -hmm. Essential. Wonderful. Any other thoughts? Confronting systemic racism. Very, very true. Equitable opportunity. Thank you. Keep 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 that coming. And um, none of this is wrong. Obviously, there's no wrong answer to a word like social justice. Language differences? Absolutely. I asked the same question to my mom. Uh, my mom and my kids are my favorite guinea pigs for whenever I want to ask something, test something. So I asked my mom this. What word comes to your mind when I say social justice? And she said exclusion. So it, it's interesting how she thought of a negative uh, confrontation that was more um, a word that I have been hearing throughout my life, thanks to my grandma. But it's place-based, yes. Challenging status quo, very true, absolutely. Um, so yes, so the, these we all have our own sense of what social justice is. But over the years, social justice has found a lot of uh, impetus in the field of education. And the Benjamin Banneker Association has taken a statement, has placed a statement uh, on the social justice position. And they talk about social justice to be something that you look at from three lenses, the lens of about, the lens of with, and the lens of for. And what does this mean? It just means that when you're talking about the lens of about, social justice is considered a, is planning a lesson to take a look at a serious or provocative issue using mathematics. Now, what does the lens with reflect? It talks about social justice focusing on uh, the demeanor of a of classroom interactions and the word for as a lens means using the actual mathematics as a tool to challenge like tony said challenge status quo so with this these are the three big lenses that social justice in mathematics has taken a big um, step ahead and we'll be imploring into that some a lot of research has been done on this and to cite a few eric gutstein's uh, research is very well known and famous and some things that really stand out i'm going to give you a few seconds to read it out um by yourself but uh, and what strikes most boldly in this first paragraph is to read and write the world with mathematics. That is where we are looking to change the world with mathematics addressing social justice. And to read the world is to understand the social, socio-political, cultural, 
historical conditions in one's lives, community, world, society. And to write the world is to actually effect the change in it. Now, this looks like a lot of language that is impossible to achieve in a classroom. So my effort is to show you how I chunked it down relevant to my classroom and brought this. So before I dive into the actual social justice lesson, I think this is a good time to introduce myself because you must be keen as to what I implement the lessons with and where and to whom and on what and so on. So um, I teach in a middle school in San Jose, California, um, and I have a diverse set of learners. And by that, I truly mean the word in the true spirit of it. I have students who ask me questions that often I'm not prepared with. I have a lot of students who want more than what I'm able to plan and offer. So I am challenged in that process. So when I say the social justice lessons that I'm going to share with you, I have to give you this waiver too. A lot of it is completely dependent on the classroom culture and the way you have set up a relationship with your learning community. Um, for me, one of the biggest advantages was that I got a chance uh, to loop with a group of students for two years. So I was able to uh, build off of the relationship and the trust that we have to take some bolder steps than what I would typically take in a classroom. So if you're ready for the ride, let's jump right in. So here are some of um, what social justice lesson means to you. So let's take a stab at this question. Uh, which one of the four group of numbers that you see in that board, checkerboard, would you think is unique and why? Please feel free, to, feel free to populate the chat with your responses. And I, while you do that, I want to emphasize the importance of the word unique. Um, this was inspired by my colleague um, at the county office where I teach, Ma Bernadette Andres Salgorino, and uh, we were discussing one day and she told me that instead of saying why, which one doesn't belong, which many of us are very uh, familiar with as a routine, uh, very common in our math classrooms, instead of saying which one doesn't belong, uh, why are we excluding and bringing in the whole point, uh, which according to her, my mom pointed out, that is the word that connects to social justice. Why don't we bring in which one is unique? So that's an effort to address that. Um, um, yes, exactly. I, I agree. I, I did not pay attention to that until it was brought to my notice. So I do appreciate the word unique a lot more now that it makes a sense of not belong being a negative and an exclusion. So yes. Um, uh, yes, 4.3 because it is written as a decimal. Mm -hmm. Yes, thank you for answering that. Um, why is each unique? Exactly. Nihi, I apologize if I said that wrong. Yes, um, 4.3 because it's a decimal. Perfect. Any other number that uh, makes uh, sense to you as being unique and why? 748 is the only even number. Thank you, Amanda, for that. Mm -hmm. 748 is divisible by 4, correct? That is the only one that's unique and it's divisible by 4. Another mm -hmm. 
And this is something we can we can all build up on, right? Like it's it's something we do often in our class, and it um, comes up naturally. Now, how does this connect to a social justice uh, lesson? Five is the only single digit number. Absolutely, uh, I call it a social justice number because these are not random numbers that I just picked. These numbers actually represent something in a social and economical context in the place where I live and teach. 4.3 is San Jose's Bay Area, San Jose Bay Area's GDP growth from 2014 to 2017. And five, because California is the fifth largest economy in the world, surpassing United Kingdom. $748 billion is San Jose Bay Area's GDP. And 19, because San Jose Bay Area is the 19th largest economy in the world. So these are not random numbers, but now these numbers make a lot more sense because it is real, real world. And it's something that we talk about every day. Everybody who lives in San Jose, what I'm talking about is my community, my students. We talk about how expensive California is, how expensive San Jose is, and how we are ranked so high and so on. So these are conversations that they hear, but making the numbers more relevant in a perspective while doing it as a routine in your class is something that's doable as a starting, as a launch. Now, um, how do I do, what do I do after that? We go in and read about it because it's not just the numbers. So, how, so maybe your students need to know what GDP is and what uh, um, growth is and what is um, the world ranking of the countries. They get curious once you throw some information to them. And we read, and this time we chose a Bay Area economic profile as a, it was a PDF document that I dug out and we all read it and we highlighted things that made sense to us. So again, not something that's very cumbersome, but it's something that's definitely doable. And you're bringing in reading along with something that's connected to your math learning right there. Let's try this. Take a look at the note image and tell me, what do you notice and what do you wonder? What do you notice and what do you wonder? And you can just put it as an N, notice, W, wonder kind of thing in the chat if that helps. Again, to reemphasize, notice and wonder, another routine that is uh, worldly acknowledged to be something that easily triggers conversations. Um, notice and wonder woman, Annie Fetter has a lot of routines uh, that she talks about and these are easy conversation starters. So if I show an image like this in my math class and I ask my students, what do you notice and what do you wonder, um, the way I do it, as they speak, I have two columns on my board, N, W, and I just write it down. Whatever they speak, I just jot it down. I'm not going to do that right now, but let's see. We have some. Um, thank you. There are several campers and how many people are living there. Beautiful. Thank you. That's a great start. That's a great start. Few colors in the image. What, what is this place? A very valid question. Something even my sixth graders asked me. What is this place? Exactly. That's, that's very curious. And that's where you're triggering their curiosity. Anybody else jumping in? Okay, uh, for the take, sake of time, I'm going to move on and show you what it is and what it looks like. So typically when I do this in the class, I start with a notice, a wonder, and then I ask a follow-up question. What do I connect with? And what mathematic question can be answered with it? Well, true that, Jonathan, it's not a holiday camp. And Tony, yes, why are they there? 
And when you ask the students, the learners to come up with notices and wonders, um, trust me, it is impressive as to the dimension into which they go and think and then they speak. So curiosity triggered to levels undefined. Um, and I want to show you how I typically do this. My students usually have a graphic organizer like this. And because it's a routine, we do almost once a week in the class. So they are used to me showing an image and uh, talking about it. So I'll write down a column that is notice, a column that is wonder. And then what did you connect it with? And it's okay if you don't connect it with, or I would even say connect, I have not connected it with yet. And my math question is, so four columns and give them five minutes think time where they just jot down. It's And just leave four rows. That's sufficient enough to start a conversation. And Kirsten, thank you for sharing that. I saw that I connect with on Twitter this year. Yes, I also saw that. Um, I think it was, um, I, I'm not sure who's the right person to give credit to, but it's something I also heard in a conference. I think it was Rochelle Gutierrez who brought this up. And definitely uh, the connection makes a whole different dimension that's added to this. Uh, and follow it up with other questions. Why is this image important to you? Why might this image be important to someone else? Why are these questions important? And why should we care about this situation or this issue? And um, to clarify the curiosity of you all, this image, and I'll go back just a bit to show you the image again. This is an image not very far from where I teach. It's like six miles down from my school. It's a place where homeless uh, people have camped. And right now, this area over the storm is a mess. And I really hope and pray these people are warm. But this is something many of my students, many of us cross every day, every day. And we've seen this. And this is real reality. This is backyard for us. So that's the connection we make. And yes, that takes us all back to the question as to who lives there. How many people live there? What do they do? And why should I care about this? And here is what I, I understand that the font is small, but here's what my students came up with. These are some of their notices and wonderings. Many cars and RVs and trash. A fence in front of a hill-like place. There are RVs in disarray. And I wonder, does anyone live there? Where is this place? Are they camping? And I connected with the trash because I have seen that along the roads before and I connect that hill because I see one like this on the way to my grandpa grandparents home my family often rents an RV when we travel long distance that's the connection another student made and the math questions they came up with if people are living there how many families are there how far is this place from my home and what is the land area that can accommodate the RVs so, so much powerful uh, reasoning, questioning, curiosity that's divulged in a simple notice, wonder, connect kind of a routine. And again, these are some things that you can bring up as a regular routine to just start a conversation and take it to a mathematical level right up front. So what questions might student ask? And these are the questions that my students ask. How does this affect me? How many people live there? How many kids live there? Why do they live here? Is the campsite close to the school? And the most important one, 
Is it safe to live there? Do they have an actual home? Where do the kids play? Do the police come here? And these are questions from my sixth graders. So when you get that connection going, students will talk to you the way they would talk in an actual learning environment. They ask you questions that actually pique their curiosity. Okay, so that was a serious issue, right? So what's going on in this graph? Another New York Times um, favorite of mine, New York Times has this uh, graph that they post every week and they just show a graph and they ask you what's going on in this graph. Um, if you have not checked it out yet, please do check it out. It's fantastic. It's very entertaining to see the very, to say the very least. So this is an image I recently, I showed it last year to my eighth graders and I showed them this image and I said, what's going on in this graph? So um, take a stab at it. Anybody um, willing to volunteer in the chat? I'll give a couple of seconds. And if you don't want to say with what's going on, you can just do it as a notice and wonder routine. You can take it any route that you want, but showing an image on the graph. When I showed this to my class, um, this was the minimum wage increases for cities in the Santa Clara County for the year 2020-2021. Um, Santa Clara County is the county where I reside and where I teach, and the minimum wages are the hourly wages for the city. And I understand that the font is small, but uh, there's a gray box that has numbers starting from 1525 going all the way up to 1605. And the yellow band that goes from 1545 to 1630. And each one is a um, city, the city of Sunnyvale, the city of Mountain View, the city of Palo Alto, the city of San Jose, Santa Clara, Cupertino, and so on. I live and teach in the city of San Jose, which is at the bottom most. My students live and learn in the city of San Jose which is the bottom most, $15.25 in 2020, $15.45-2021. And when I throw this at them, all I get is, what, really? Are you serious? And, you know, who's enough? My boba costs that much. I had a kid say, I spend more than this at Target. So that's a self-check. That's a reality check-in, and that is sometimes a jolt that is what the students get. Now, how did we go ahead with this? Um, it was not random that I chose this. I decided to pick up a News ELA, Newsella article on statewide minimum wages and how it moved from $13 for businesses with 25 employees or fewer to $14 uh, for all other employees and over the years, how the change has been coming up. And we talked about how this is something that's advocated for, how it's something that's on the ballot and how it's something that, uh, you know, everybody in the community is involved in to get this few cents increase in wages every year. And I showed them this picture. These are pictures of people, of students who actually advocated for that, that $8 is not enough way back. And they were like, they were getting paid $8. And I have eighth graders that I teach who are 14. And pretty soon they are eligible to work under um, guided uh, directions and supervision to earn hourly wages. And that's what they would be getting. So it was something like a straight 
hit me home kind of a situation when they saw this. And once we read that, we had some questions about it. We were talking about advocacy rights and we were talking about how it is great to speak up for what is wrong and advocate for what we think should be the right stand um, and so on. And talking about this took us on the next day when we came back, they were talking about, but why are we talking about this, Mrs. Raman? And that um, we talked about how high schools uh, is where most of the students start earning and high school is important and it builds up on your education and everything. And we talked about A to G, the courses. And this is a snapshot of my high school, high school, my feeder high school district and their graduation rates. This was something I took from the website and I didn't show them any of the data. I just showed them the graph first. And I said, this is why we need to talk about wages because the dropout rates are high. They're significantly high. It is known that a lot of people are not completing their graduation requirements uh, in high school because of which it leads to them relying more on their hourly wages than um, let's say a salaried employment for a sustained time, which in turn over the years has led to a lot of homelessness in and around a city which qualifies to be Silicon Valley. So it's all a domino effect that happens, not because, not because anybody knowingly wants to do this, but it is something that is visible and we think we are not responsible for it. So you as a student, when your parents, your families, your teachers say that, go ahead and finish that course, graduate. We want you to finish that course. Don't give up. There's a reason for that because data has shown that there is a consistency and there's a pattern that you can see throughout. There's a thread that follows through. Um, we got chatting about this graph. And uh, again, we came up, I said, what questions would you consider? And then they came up with this list of questions. How does this impact our education? And then we got into how funding gets diverted in, uh, from the state and the feds come to a schools based on how their graduation rates are and how their students' interests are and so on. And then came the big question, how does, what does this have to do with race at all? Because in California, a lot of um, the local schools have been targeted for um, having proven that there is a low graduation rate for certain demographic populations. And a lot of districts are under pressure to show growth and they're doing their share. But why is that happening? So where is the connection to the race and how does this impact a student's pathway? And how does this make them a more responsible and productive citizen? So conversations, again, in the class, nothing yet significantly mathematical, but we're talking. And I like to go back to this framework. I think it's shared by Rochelle Gutierrez again. <clears throat> what do you know? When you ask the question, what do you notice? It builds strong observational skills, which supports the connections. And when you talk about the wonderings, it goes on to build problem-posing skills and brings up creativity. And what questions can be answered by mathematics is where they're actually building those skills from a mathematical perspective. And this has been a good framework that has helped me uh, plan a lot of the lessons uh, that I'm sharing with you right now. And mathematizing the world routine also goes back, uh, which is talked about a lot in this field by many people, many researchers, 
um, why is this question or why is this situation important? And who else might care about that question? That brings in the humanizing and the empathy element that is often missing in a typical bananas and watermelon problem that we talk about in the textbooks. And making it meaningful, making it relevant, there is a lot of math that you can do there in every single image and graph that I've shown you. There's a lot of math that you can do, whether it's a sixth grade level, fifth grade level, high school level. Uh, you can even get them talking about it. But um, do you really uh, bring in the humanized aspect from just doing a textbook question? That's a question I would really consider that you ask yourself. Um, let's do one more. Notice and wonder, huh? You wouldn't know that that's my favorite routine. Okay, so what do you notice? What do you wonder? A quick um, and short type would be great. What's on fire? I like that question, Tony. Thank you for sharing that. What's on fire? That's a good question. Mm -hmm. Notice about the mountains, correct? That's a good notice. That's a good notice. Okay. It's an uh, notice is that it's an aerial view and a wonder is how much area is there. Amanda says volcano. Jonathan says notice is how difficult to put out the fire. Absolutely. I like all your um, comments coming in. And this is a list of the notices and wonders that came up with, I did this task with my sixth graders. Yes, Kirsten, is there a lot of settlement there? Where will all the smoke go? Absolutely. So my students noticed smoke, drone image, mountain, lots of smoke, green area, smoke jutting out, waterfalls, water spray. Oh, no. Some student actually exclaimed, oh, no. And one of the things that I, I'm doing a workshop with Annie Fetter on Notice and Wonder. And one thing I've learned is to have a poker face, not react and write just the notices and wonders. I'm really trying hard. That's one of my New Year resolutions this year that I'll be better at just having a blank face and writing it down. So volcano, danger, Google images, dense smoke, poor visibility. Don't forget the last one. My dad is a firefighter. And the wonders, sixth graders, are people dead? Where is this? When did this happen? Is it a volcano eruption? Who took the picture? Was a drone used? How much area does it cover? Does my dad know about this? And you, you don't need too much to understand. It's the same student who said, my dad is a firefighter. Is it safe to live there after? How did the, uh, did the air quality get? What was the AQI? And one thing we noticed in California over the past few years is AQI is a term that all of us know because the quality of the air has become so bad when the fires um, are rampant that AQI is like an acronym everybody uses. So it was a very um, um, ardently used word in my school at that time. So these were my notices and wonders that came from my students. Um, and yes, there's a social connection here. And I'm not gonna play the re uh, video here, but if you get a chance, this is a firefighter who's talking about um, 
trying to talk about how much mathematics is involved in putting out that fire. And this image on the bottom left is actually a screenshot from my balcony, from my home, and the fire was right behind in the hills. My school is somewhere in that hills area. So it's like a few miles away, but um, that is exactly where the smoke emanate, um, began. And this is a screenshot of that. And then you all know that California has been notorious for its wildfire fires for the past few years, and it's now personal. We went on to read a news article that was published on why uh, California gets so many fires. We talked about climate change. We talked about numbers. We talked about the lack of water. We talked about the climate of California and how global warming has been impacting this. And then we went on to watch this video. And when you get a chance, do watch it. It's about a firefighter who talks about how much math is involved in actually putting out a fire of that scale up from the air or from the ground. So there are different perspectives. He talks about not just volume and water, the spray area, the hyperbola, and every, it, there is mathematics for every single grade level when you come to think of it. Again, relevant to the students because they're seeing this every day. Something they can connect to because they're seeing that every day. Something they can participate in. Again, low floor, which is something we all aspire for as a classroom teacher. And most importantly, something that will impact them directly. So something for which there is a cause to be fighting for. So things that are meaningful definitely bring a lot of uh, sense into the classroom. Um, this firefighter child of mine um, brought home um, the, the evacuation order and she also brought her dad's notice of um, having to leave for an indefinite time until the fire goes. It was sad, but that, and then she shared more pictures as her dad sent them to them. This was actual fire in California in the Los Angeles area. So something that's um, directly impacting all of us. And the questions that they came up with, how many firefighters were deployed? Does California have enough firefighters to support it? What caused it? Why does it happen so regularly? How do authorities declare it is a safe place to go back to? And what can we do to help reduce this? Big questions, not necessarily ready for an answer from sixth, seventh, eighth, or even high schoolers, but definitely conversations worth starting using math as a skeletal framework for them to build their curiosity up. And I implore you, please take a moment to think about how you might use community data to plan lessons that are structured around social justice. And what strengths do your does your system have and what are your pedagogical strengths that you can leverage to teach mathematics for social justice and because we are all such a spread out community what makes sense to you as social justice may not necessarily make sense to me as uh, in terms of social justice but that's where the beauty of this comes this is very 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 regional it's very geographic so it might not be a lesson plan that will work, but what I ask is think of one thing that you can take home and talk about, plan a lesson, bring in a number talk, bring in a math talk, bring in a notice and wonder or which one doesn't belong or which one is unique and implore the curiosity of your learners and talk about it and bring it up. Um, quoting Rochelle Gutierrez in this, teachers, 
need to conceptualize themselves as transgressive and see their own role as part of a larger social movement and explicitly attempt to create conditions for young people to become active participants in changing the society. Um, I've tried to uh, really highlight the words that we teachers often um, know that this is under our control, create conditions, active participants. What we really miss often is the larger social moment. And yes, I do agree that most of us do not have the time for it, but there are ways to make this easier. There are ways to get started. And again, going back to uh, teaching mathematics for social justice is actually a framework that's uh, been designed over two overarching aims for teachers and where you use social justice pedagogy to develop a political awareness amongst your community and to make the community members, in this case, my students, realize their position in not just the society, but in history. COVID is once in a lifetime, hopefully, and we are all part of it. We are part of history. We are all data points in that history. And secondly, the other aim is to motivate the individuals to actually act. And it might not be anything big. Nobody's asking anybody to go and protest on the streets something small that makes a meaningful difference. And that is where it goes hand in hand, the social justice pedagogical goals and the mathematical pedagogical goals go hand in hand in that. Uh, there is a change that's happening, but in the end, it when it is mathematics oriented, that makes the cause even more worth it. Um, I'm gonna move on to the next one and just advocate for this, that we are the change makers. But we know this, we have been told this in many forums, in many communities, by many people around us. But when we see ourselves as change makers in a community that involves our learners, that is a bigger movement that we have. And to learn from our peers, our peers are our best wealth of knowledge. So use that and make a small step and make a lesson valuable by making the students see themselves as not just a part of the curriculum, but in a way that they see the world. And what I mean by saying that being a part of the curriculum, often um, I hear uh, teachers say that, oh, I changed the name from John to Juan to make it more culturally relevant to my Spanish-speaking learners. No, that's not helpful. I made, um, I changed the pizza to a naan or a roti bread to make it more relevant to my Indian students. No, that's not culturally relevant. Changing the names does not make them a part of the curriculum. We need to move beyond that. We need to go deeper than that. We need to address issues that those Spanish-speaking students and those Indian students actually are a part of. Problems that they might not see today as problems, but problems that, they, that we as adults can foresee for them and guide them and make them curious about it. So positioning and participation is key in the field of social justice. And using social justice and moving from the mindset of windows and lens to actual mirrors and shifting the role of authority from us teachers and our textbooks and curriculum to actually students and what their thinking is. 
Um, I just want to share one more activity uh, that I did with my students. Um, it's called <clears throat> Mathematizing the Community. And the big topic is, is fair equal? Um, yes, absolutely. Getting the students to think about the, these ideas is important. And uh, just like I say, it's it's we're just throwing the seeds out. Even if a few of them pop out, it's still capable of propagating a garden of flowers. So it's our job to just sow the seeds out and just um, expose them to all that we are possibly capable of and how they take it and move on with it and run with it is um, is not something that we can entirely control, but definitely something that we can do. Okay, so um, this is a task that I took from Mathematics Assessment Project, and it is available for you in the link that's there. So please feel free to get that when you get a chance. But this is sharing gasoline costs as a task. So the task reads, each day, Lara's mom drives her to school. On the day, on, on the way, she picks up three of Lara's friends, Chan, Jason, and Maria. Each afternoon, she returns the same route and drops them off at their homes. The map is drawn to scale. It shows where each person lives and the route taken by Lara's mom. At the end of a term, the four students agree to pay $300 in total towards the cost of gasoline. And here's a little dialogue blurb, a conversation blurb from each of these people. I think Lara should pay the most as she has had further to travel. Another person says, yes, I think we should share the cost according to how far we travel in the car. And another person says, the person who are in the car for part of the journey should share the cost equally for that part. Now, the question in this whole scenario asks you, how much should each person pay? And it is recommended that you find the fairest possible method. And the task asks you to show your work just like any good math problem does. So let's take a stab at it. Uh, when you get a chance, um, the link is there in the chat. Thank you for that. Um, take a look at it. And this is a task I gave my sixth graders. And it is a task that my colleague has given to a, her eighth grade class. And I also have a high school friend who did this task and whose data I decided to use um, in this slide. So based on this, when I gave this task to my students, one group said everyone should pay $100 except Lara because Lara's mom is the one driving all the students to school. I get you. I hear you. That's true. That's very reasonable. That's very fair in my eyes. Absolutely. So that was one group's decision. The other group said everyone should pay $75 each, including Lara. So it's 75 for Chan, 75 for Jason, 74 for Lara, and 75 for the other kid. And that totals to 300 fair and square. It's fair. Another group said with detailed explanation, Lara traveled 10 blocks, Chan traveled 8 blocks, Jason traveled eight blo uh, 5 blocks, Marla traveled 2. Everyone should pay proportionally based from the blocks traveled. Again, very legitimate, very fair in a perspective, for sure. Yet another group said, if each block costs $15. And just to point out, do you see that they've already made an assumption over here? 
$15. Then one-way cost will be Lara $30, Chan $45, Jason $45, Marla $30. And following this, we had a discussion. After we all had a fair stab at the question, we had a discussion. Perla said, my friends and I walk to school. Ellie says, my mom drops me and my three siblings from 7 a.m. onwards. Andres said, I bike to school. Kathy says, I said, I wait for Tio to drive me to school because I live about two miles away. And Edgar said he carpooled with his cousins and sometimes neighbors. Was this a conversation I planned for? No. But this is something that came up after the activity. And this not just told me more about my own kids, which I never knew. I never knew that uh, Edgar had cousins whom he would carpool with. And I did not know that Ellie's mom was on the road from 7 a.m. So again, meaningful information that does not have a direct impact on your mathematics classroom, but definitely has an impact when next time I call Ellie's mom and she's not picking a phone, I will be mindful. Maybe she's tired and she's probably taking a nap, much needed nap. Again, bringing in a social element to all this has its own uh, good reward. And my high school friend who did that took it to the next level. They made, he made the students map their actual route to school. Uh, some of them walked, some of them bike. So this is uh, the next layer is added by my high school friend. And they actually traced the path on Google Maps. And then they worked on that on scaling because he was doing transformations with his class. And where is the mathematics in all this? I did it with my sixth grade. My friend did it with eighth grade. My other high school friend did it with his freshman and sophomore. So yes, there's a lot of math here. You can talk about distance traveled. You can talk about proportion like some of the groups mentioned there. There is speed and there's average and there is time and there is cost estimation which is such an absolutely important um, topic in mathematics that we i feel personally that we don't pay enough attention to because of a curriculum requirement and so much more that you can bring in and not to mention all the social elements that i got to know about and here is the actual reality the reality is that my school district and my feeder high school district actually had a reorg of the boundary, the geography, the map. And there was a redistribution of schools. Some schools closed because of low enrollment. Some families had to move because there was no school nearby. And most importantly, there was that connection we made earlier to the poverty and homelessness. A lot of people had moved. And why? Because the cost of living is high. Why? Because the daily wages are low. Why? Because our graduation rates are coming down. So there is a thread that they see over a year's worth of notice wonders, why is it unique, general conversations and talks about something that we feel irrelevant, but something that has a connection. And what better than build it in with the mathematics? How did we follow this up? We followed this up with a conversation about how do you get to school? Do you walk? Do you bike? Do you come by school bus? Or do you have your mom or dad or auntie or uncle, grandma, grandpa, family, neighbor, cousin drop you? It was a conversation that really helped us get to know each other better. And then we went on. Of course, we are such data 
people. We love, we dug in and then we got this information from the National Household Travel Survey, which talked about the U.S. Department of Education, uh, U.S. Department of Transportation um, data. Uh, it's not very current. It is 2019, but it's still a good, significant data to discuss about. The green part talks about how green the transportation is, and that goes on to talk about climate change. And there is a whole connection that revolves around. And if you have not checked out or read this, please, I highly encourage you to, and I implore you to look at this. These are 25 photos that reveal the extreme ways that kids get to school from around the world. Um, it, it is, some of these images are heartbreaking to see, and um, it really drives a personal note home for me because my husband used to bike miles and miles and miles as an elementary kid, as a first grader to get to school every day. And I remember going back to what my grandma talked about when she migrated from Burma to uh, Madras, the southern part of the country. She had to walk way more. And for her, that was an ordeal. So it brings in stories and kids go back home and talk to their near and dear ones about what this is true, what this means. And I, I truly implore you to, um, the QR code will take you to the link for this insider. And please take a look at the images that it shows. It's some of these are heartbreaking. They are through wading waters in Manila and um, I think in Vietnam in Japan and some of these in India. And this I think is um, in Myanmar, I believe, or one of the, or Tibet, I think. And it is, kids were like astounded. Is that how they go to school? Are they going to school? Yes, yes. Not everybody goes to school with a backpack. Not everybody goes to school in a school bus or a private car. So it's a, it's a good reality check to talk about a global world. That's not, now it's a potpourri. So we need to know everybody. It's a melting world. So it makes a lot of connection. Again, taking you back to the tether here with the two questions. How might you use your community data and your context to plan lessons that are centered around social justice? And what are your current strengths? What are your pedagogical uh, strengths? What are some practices that you think that will benefit the students most when you talk about mathematics for social justice. And I have this little graphic organizer that I typically use where I ask them to reflect after we do a lesson like this, like because there are sometimes um, things that pop up that I don't have an answer to. And at this point, my relationship with my students is strong enough for me to accept and say, I don't know that yet, but why don't we look it up together and build on our knowledge together? So uh, know that uh, there is a lot of vulnerability here that we're going to go through. And it is entirely driven by the relationship that you have with your students. 
And quickly to just touch about this, um, the California mathematics framework is changing right now. And we are in a big process over here. And my students have been very curious about, hey, Mr. Raman, you go and you say you present. Where did you do? What did you do? What did you learn? And they ask me these questions if I take a day off. So I decided one day to tell them what this is about that I'm learning. So we talked about why the mathematics framework in California needs to be changed. And then we read an article from San Francisco Chronicle, which is our local newspaper here in the Bay Area. And we and one of the key highlights was data collected in 2019 found that black and Latinx students were only half as likely as their white and Asian American counterparts to meet or exceed grade level math standards in the California assessments. That is a lot of data in that uh, statement that hits us home because my demographics is heavy on the Latinx population. My demographics is also heavy on the Asian American population. So we have it. So why it affects both of us? Yes. So let's talk about it. We went on to talk and read a little bit more. My students did a little highlighting, annotating, and reflecting back on that. And we came up with some conclusions. And I gave them a little rundown, but a lot of this um, is coming from um, the red ones are definitely the ones that my students came up with. They Googled up, they looked up internet sources, and they came up that in California, the student math scores consistently rank among, rank among the lowest in the nation, even though U.S. and California have overall improved in the 1990s. And guess why this hits, hits their heart a lot? Because we just talked about U.S. being the seventh High, fifth highest scoring nation in one of the other uh, which one is unique you showed us Mrs. Raman so that's their connection wait what you said this and now you're saying this that doesn't make sense and that gets their curiosity up and we talked about some numbers we talked about race demographics population and how it has been um, this was from 2022 2022, I think, yes. And we looked up maps. We talked, uh, 2021, we talked about um, the percentage. And again, sixth graders, no percentages. So here they are talking about the discrepancy, the disparity that is, that is obvious from this bar graph. And then you go on to ask them, what are the essential questions? And what do you think? Where do you stand in this problem? Um, goes back to the same thing. Now what? So what? You told a lot. You spoke a lot. None of this is something that is expected to be done in one day, one night, or even a week or a month. It takes years. And more than that, it takes a lot of personal determination. These are sensitive topics. Some of these are way too personal to us. I never do COVID data um, as a routine personally because COVID has taken a negative toll on my personal life. I have lost a lot of family members to COVID. So I, I get very, it, get, it touches me very personally when I talk about COVID numbers because I have personally my family members who are data points on those. I'm, I don't have the strength yet. So pick a topic that works for your community. Pick a topic that you feel that you are courageous enough to talk about with your community. It doesn't need to be anything big. You can talk about recycling. You can talk about the pollution near you. You can talk about how our garbage bins can be better organized for a more efficient pickup. 
It can be about watering the plants. It can be about paper recycling. It can be about anything. It doesn't need to be anything gross or grave to start with, but it has to be a start. It needs to come from you because every small step we make helps them be brave and stronger in the step they take. So I ask you today to please take one tangible practice of yours, one routine of yours, any one protocol of yours that you will improvise this year to include social justice in that lesson. It needn't be anything big. It needn't be anything huge. It could be a small routine, but make a little self-promise to yourself that you will be including that this year. And if you're more interested in reading about this, there's a lot of books. All these are linked within to an Amazon. Uh, some of these books are really hardcore and they are they they speak truth. And some some of them reading some of them actually brought tears to my eyes. So uh, it it is it is time that we act on these things. So it is time that we actually address these issues in our classrooms. Um, I want to say thank you to you for taking your time, um, for taking the time today to be with me. As always, I'm literally an email away. Feel free to tweet and feel free to reach out to me over Twitter. And if there are any questions that I can answer, I will be, um, I'm happy to answer. Skew the script. Oh, okay. Skew the script. I will definitely take a look at that. Amanda, thank you for that. Um, absolutely, Valerie. It's been my honor to have you all. And thank you so much for the participation. I know um, it's we're all at different time zones, but I appreciate that. And let me just check to see what I had in the rest of my slides. I had slides that um, I was planning to show, but these are, these are other tasks that are available to you on the slide deck. Feel free to use them as you need. And I hope you truly enjoyed.